Scooch. You are listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Hey, you get the bag and fumble it. I get the bag and flip it and tumble it. Straight off the lot, 300 cash, and the car came with a blood in it. All right, welcome everyone into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, the managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Uh, I'm also the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. And what a time to talk about the Utah Jazz, having won 10 in a row here. I guess not really here in Salt Lake City, because really seven of those wins came on the road, six of them against playoff teams, three of them against, I guess, four wins against really elite teams, that being the Warriors, Raptors, and Spurs. And all of a sudden, you know, we're we're talking about a... Jazz team that's hotter than any NBA team in the league. So there's a lot to talk about here on the show. We're taking your calls and your tweets throughout the show. You can tweet me at Andy B. Larson or call us 877-353-0700. My co-host today is the one and only J.P. Chunger, the Chunga. I said Chunger like I have a weird accent. It's all right. Uh, he is the producer for the Gunther and Hackett show every weekday here from 2 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 700. Um, but JP, also a knowledgeable basketball mind, also a good talker. So we we bring him in when uh, our usual co-host, Ben Anderson, can't make it today. So, uh, JP, what have you thought about this Jazz 10-game winning streak? 10? I, I mean, it was a couple of weeks ago when people were starting to write the uh, tank note. Uh, right. Forte on the Jazz is... The uh, prospects weren't great. The way that they were looking, they were starting to head into a shell of themselves. And then all of a sudden, this 10-game winning streak happens. And the way that they are playing and the way that uh, Donovan Mitchell, who hasn't been asked to be the main guy in all of these 10 games, he's if anything, it's been other people and people like Joe Ingles who are making their shots, shooting an astounding uh, 57% from three yeah. over the winning streak. They are starting to hit shots, and it's translated to this crazy uh, win streak, which has you barking at the playoff picture. Yeah, no, it, it's really crazy. We've got questions. I've, I sent out a tweet asking people for questions, and they're like, how do you listen to the show? Well, guess what, people? You can, li- you can tune in on your old-fashioned radio on 700 AM, and, of course, we've also got the ESPN 700 app, which everyone should download. Um, and of course the ESPN 700 website, we answer all the questions, but I just wanted to make sure that everyone knows exactly if you, if you want to listen to the show after, yeah. uh, getting out of your car, you still can just hook up to the app. And of course we also do the show as a podcast after, uh, you know, we upload that after the show's done, um, every week. So I, I just want people to know there are lots of different ways to listen to us. There are a lot of, there's a lot of streaming news today too over at KSL. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you you've heard good, about this. What a good you know broadcasting network. <laughs> a a great website. KSL.com is. That's what I've heard. Uh, RS, we might as well just make all the announcements. <laughs> PSAs. Uh, RSL and uh, Utah Royals FC Real Monarch games all will be live streamed this year on KSL.com. Um, so you can watch those for free if you are local here in in the Salt Lake City market. Cool. But you can listen to us worldwide. On ESPN700sports.com yes, and just press play on that stream as we are live 7 to 9. But 
uh, presumably live if you're listening to this on the podcast. Yes. Uh, so let, let's before we get into our listener questions, though, let's let's talk about this winning streak a little bit. I think there are three really, really impressive wins in the streak, and then some other ones that, while impressive because of maybe the margin of victory, are are not the go-to wins. You know that that really define the team. Last night's, I think, was the highlight of the entire streak. You think so? I was gonna, I, I was gonna name three different games and have you choose, but you're, you're giving I'm it going, away. You think last night's was the highlight? I really do. I don't want to be, back, I don't want to be prisoner of the moment because I know that can happen yeah. sometimes with these wins. But coming back against the Spurs, who even though they're without Lamarcus Aldridge and without Kawhi Leonard. I, I see that as a caveat, but having to come back in the fourth quarter and also the side plots, side storylines with, uh, Rudy Gobert deciding to stay on the bench in okay. favor of, in favor of Derek coming on and playing well on the floor. And then you have Jay Crowder getting his first exposure to the Utah crowd. I think that one was the best one of, of the entire street. I think that was absolutely the bit, the best atmosphere and storyline yeah. of any game in this streak that's all i look at <laughs> and, and, and that's and that's fair honestly if you want to look at like kind of the the things that the jazz had to overcome within that game um with the spurs being the second best defense in the league uh, I, I thought Pau gasol was great last night amazing uh <laughs> and you know really in terms of a a team that is smart enough to defend the jazz well they took away what the Jazz like to do, which is finish at the rim and take three-point shots. And, and they just forced these mid-range shots over and over again, which the Jazz couldn't hit. And they still came back and won the game. And that was the that was what I wanted to see because it's not that um, it was a huge adjustment. It's just taking what they gave to you and still uh, taking that and taking the win as well. It was remarkable to see uh, how Donovan Mitchell, despite... All of his struggles shooting throughout the night, starting hitting mid-range jump shots uh, late in the fourth quarter to, yeah. to seal the game. And you asked Quinn Snyder after the game the things that you want to do in those pick-and-roll scenarios, and he detailed them to you even after uh, it sounded like he wasn't going to. I love that. I love right? that that yeah. Quinn was like, Andy, I could list five things off to you. And, and at I that will. point, he paused. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is this is the way that you get out of answering this question. And I get it. A lot of coaches don't want to answer X's and O's questions. They don't want to give away what they're doing. But I think Quinn is understanding that everyone knows everyone's stuff, right? Like if, if each team employs numerous advanced scouts for each other NBA team so that you know what exactly plays those plays that are uh, the Jazz are running or any other team that, that is running, right? And so that the Jazz, when uh, you give them this kind of situation that they're looking to dive and dri- drive and dive or put the defender on their hip or do a Steve Nash and roll around or, or flip the the angle of the screen, all of this isn't new to their opponents. And so I, I, I appreciate Quinn Snyder saying it publicly because it, it's not giving him any real competitive advantage. But you, we saw the Jazz do those kind of things, and especially Joe Ingles, who I, I think we need to talk about too, is is just been so smart uh, not only just with obviously the shot making, like you said, the 57% from three, which is obviously unsustainable, but the way he's attacking the basket and making the right play uh, has been really, really impressive during the streak. And the favors Ingles pick and roll has been yes, almost lethal for uh, the Jazz uh, as of late. I mean, it's the best combination, at least statistically, of the Jazz's uh, pick and roll combinations for now. For you to get 
eight consecutive points running the same play over and over again against the Spurs, who are a really smart team, uh, in the last five minutes of, of a close game like that, that just doesn't happen. You know, you don't see a team go to a well over and over again without a team figuring out how to defend it. And the Spurs didn't. And it's not like, you know, Ingles and Gobert are just athletically superior players that you know, can just dominate you with their skill. It was just how smart Ingles was in reading that pick and roll and baiting Pau Gasol out to him and then finding Derek Favors on that on that roll pass with, with some, you know, excellent bounce passes in the paint. And what was impressive is uh I mean it's the fact that it's slow mo Joe, obviously. But <laughs> right. but but it's also uh somebody who is much maligned in Derek Favors. A guy who was going to be trading bait for you pre winning streak and now that he's still on this team, uh, he can play more relaxed and in in tune with the way that the Jazz are playing and be one of the main contributors over this entire um, streak. I point to the Detroit Pistons win, where where um, even even though Andre Drummond went crazy and and off in that game, uh, down the stretch things were going going well for Derek Favors defensively, and they were able to get the win. Yeah, I mean, in in terms of. Team basketball leading to wins, I think you can argue this is the best streak of Derek Favors' career in that, you know, certainly he hasn't had a 10-game winning streak uh, in his Jazz career. And I th- I think, obviously, he scored more points than this, and he's, he's rebounded the ball more than this. But in terms of just kind of the, the what he's adding to the team when he's on the floor from a plus-minus point of view, from a, a versatility point of view, and being able to defend on the perimeter – uh, is really impressive for a guy who you know we we thought had lost something due to injury and maybe had lost some uh, I, I guess will want to be here after you know with the trade deadline and and honestly with his upcoming free agency it seems like he's really bought in to what the Jazz are trying to do. You said that this game was the best of the streak. Yep. I, I want to throw out some other uh, possibilities for you. Okay. The Golden State Warriors victory. You beat the. A healthy yeah. Warriors team by 30. Uh, you didn't see much effort, at least defensively, from the Warriors that game. That's true. Is it's... the only sour part to that, to that win. And they were, and that was, um, I want to say the second game of their sputtering, uh, out of control, at least out of control within the Warriors framework, which is losing a couple games <laughs> in a row. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's why I don't really think of that. The other, I hope you're going to bring this one up. Yep. The Raptors win. Yes. The And, and that was the second win of the streak was uh, beating the Raptors, the Eastern Conference leading team at home, at Toronto, I should say, um, on a last minute shot I, I, by Ricky Rubio. I thought that was a really big win for the Jazz to come back and win that one as well. Uh, and really, I, I think the Toronto Raptors are a little bit underrated in, in the NBA context right now. You look at just the point differential in the NBA they're third overall and and pretty close to the Houston Rockets. And I like that one especially because it was also on the road, which before the streak, the Jazz weren't winning on the road at all. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what's crazy about this this I mean, I just went on this four game road trip. I you know, that's why yeah. you were doing the show with Ben last week. I was getting hit by cars, all sorts of things. <laughs> uh and then you know, they they come into this trip, uh, they come into the streak, I should I should say by winning only five road games all season long. Well, in the last 10, they've won seven, and all of a sudden they have like an actually respectable road record of 12 and 19. Now, that's not the same, that's not the record you'd like, but 
the fourth seed Minnesota Timberwolves are 12 and 18. So, uh, the, the fifth seed Oklahoma City Thunder on, on our television sets right now are 12 and 16. The Denver Nuggets, your seventh seed are eight and 19 on the season. So now you've gotten through that part of your schedule and you, and you only have 10 road games left for the entire year. You have an opportunity to catch up some some real distance on these on the rest of these playoff teams, whether that be the Pelicans in eight, the Nuggets in seventh, the Portland Trailblazers in six, and even the Thunder and Timberwolves in five and four. The Jazz are only four games in the loss column behind the Minnesota Timberwolves for that four seed, three games behind them in the loss column uh, for the the five seed and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now I think both of those teams are better than the Utah Jazz, but in in terms of a, a ease of schedule moving forward, and and you know if if you can continue to play good ball, I'm not saying you're going to win the rest of your games, but if you can continue to play good team ball on both ends of the floor, I could see them getting the six seed and maybe even competing, pushing the Thunder a little bit for that five seed. I said uh, last week with Ben that the six seed is uh, the ceiling is the roof. For the Jazz, (laughs) that is the absolute. If everything goes well, the six seed is in sight. I think the seven and eight is probably the more. Do you still believe that even after these last four wins? I guess Uh, that the six seed is the roof, ceiling (laughs) and roof, ceiling and roof. Uh, Yeah, I still believe that that six is the absolute maximum because, like you said, I I really don't see them being better than the Timberwolves or Thunder, and if. I think at some point, 57% is going to come down. Uh, the shooting percentages for the entire team, right. it's going to come down. Sure. It, you're going to go through a little bit of a rut. Last night is a perfect game, a perfect example of a game that you don't win unless exactly. you get lucky from the three-point line. And honestly, your opponent gets a little bit unlucky, right? I mean, the Jazz shot over 50% again. The, the, uh, Spurs shot 25% from the field. I mean, uh, from the three point line, I should say that, you know, that kind of three differential can win you a lot of games that you don't otherwise deserve to win. And, um, what was it? Uh, the, I mean, the referees last night were pretty laughable. Or garbage. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, uh, I deleted a tweet. After the game, that said something about Rodney Mott not being able to run a, a lemonade stand. <laughs> I felt bad about that one. Uh, but there's no question that for both sides, I, honestly, yeah. I think oh, yeah. uh, last night's referee crew was, was pretty bad. Uh, I, I thought the, <laughs> the last play was pretty laughably officiated with, uh, I, I think there was, really was a double dribble. I think there was an out of bounds and I think there was a just blatant Joe Ingles push on Manu Ginobili, uh, that he was, uh, you know, I don't know if he was trying to get the ball out of bounds with a couple seconds left, but either way, uh, uh you know, the refs didn't, didn't blow their whistles there and, and I, I didn't think it was a good crew, but it, Anyway, by, let's let bygones be got bygones. Okay, uh, Rodney Mott's fine, I guess. Here, let, I'm tell you what I'm looking at right now. So yeah. I'm looking at the 538 projections, and I know 538 has had its stock drop since the 2016 presidential election. That is unfair because they were the only ones that gave Donald Trump a a, a chance to win, and even a a relatively large chance at about 25. percent uh, Right now, 538 has the Utah Jazz at a 89% chance of making the playoffs. They also have them with a projected record of 46 and 36. That's two games behind the Minnesota Timberwolves at 48 and 34. That's one game behind the Oklahoma City Thunder at 47 and 35. 
And that's substantially ahead of, two games ahead of, the Portland Trailblazers at 44 and 38, let alone, uh, the Nuggets also there at 44 and 38, the Pelicans at 43 and 39. All of these teams now are kind of question marks to make the, the playoffs, and, and that's because the Jazz, having faced the hardest part of their schedule in December, have an easier stretch coming up, beginning with tomorrow night at home against the woeful Phoenix Suns. And they have the most, uh, home games, uh, left of, of that group. Um, yeah, you're you're still not buying it. I, and I, I really get it. not. I I I don't see them being better than than the Timberwolves or the Thunder, uh, in that capacity. And I think even the Trailblazers, even though they didn't show it the other night uh, against the Jazz, uh, are better than than what they have shown as of late. And and they can turn it on. And I like this Nuggets team. The, you do <laughs> seriously? I I really do. I like the, I like what they they can do as well. I I don't like this Nuggets team that much. I mean I. I actually worry that bringing Paul Millsap back will hurt them more than help them based on how he fit with them earlier on in the season. Um, and I, I don't know that they're going to defend well through the end of the season as well. Um, I, if I have to pick the two teams that are not going to make the playoffs in this Western Conference picture, I think I'm picking the Pelicans and the Denver Nuggets. Really? So you? Oh, sorry. I'm I'm picking the Denver Clippers? Nuggets and the and the Clippers. I yeah. should say. My bad. Okay. I was I was gonna say. That's yeah. I Clippers. I meant Clippers and Nuggets. Whoa, good for them. They they climb into it. Yeah, I think the Pelicans are a very fashionable one to to pick as of now. Um, I, that you that you aren't picking, which I like. Um, the the only thing that that really has me drawn to the Nuggets is obviously Nurkic and and the way that um Jokic a uh, Jokic Jokic Nurkic. Uh, Nurkic is on the Trailblazers. Yes. Uh, Jokic is on, uh, the Nuggets. Uh, is the way that Jokic can play and put up a triple double, um, any sure. given night. And, and that can, uh, vault the Nuggets, uh, past couple of teams. You sound right now like a Philadelphia 76ers fan with your <laughs> blatant over, overestimation of the importance of triple doubles. You sound like you want Ben Simmons to be the rookie of the year. I think he is the rookie of the year. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Um, this, this isn't popular to say, <laughs> especially on these airwaves, but yeah, maybe. Okay. That's a discussion we have to say later. for later because there's, there's too much there. <laughs> <laughs> there, there really just is, you know, Good. that, that's something we have slated on for later on in the show. Uh, what's your impression been of Jay Crowder so far? Well, definitely coming in, coming into the trade. Um, he's somebody that the jazz coveted, right? Right. He's somebody that they wanted to get in the Gordon Hayward sign and trade. He's somebody that the Jazz have gone after before. He's sort of that uh, encapsulation of the Quinn Snyder system and the way that, frankly, Jazz fans want to see a Jazz man play. And I wasn't really sold on, obviously, the Jay Crowder that you saw this year in Cleveland because he was performing pretty terribly. But understanding that coming into a new situation, a better locker room that isn't yelling at each other and pointing the finger at every single player. Um, yeah. I could see him getting better. They obviously bought low on, on his stock as, as opposed to somebody like a Miritich where you had to buy high and give away yeah. a first round pick. Uh, Jay Crowder obviously fits the contract profile that you're looking for right now. Um, in that it's a low risk deal where he can be gone, uh, and be traded and moved on if things don't work out. But the way that he has played, at least in the two games that we've seen, 29 combined points, uh, him being able to uh, 
uh, do those hustle plays that get your the Jazz fans riled up early on in in the right when he's introduced into the game. I think he's a good fit on this team, uh, considering how uh, flexible he can be playing the four and basically switching two through four on defense. Yeah, that's that to me is the biggest uh, point of of potential is where he's playing. You know, honestly, playing thirty five minutes last night. Uh, as kind of the sixth man is is pretty impressive given that it's his second game and he's playing a lot of those minutes at the four and I think that's where he's going to continue to find a lot of minutes uh you know because the Jazz do want to space around either Derek Favors or Rudy Gobert as they finish the game or you know as they finish a half even as as we saw the Jazz go on a run with that small ball lineup in in at the end of the first half uh, I, I think we're seeing, we're seeing some good things out of Jay Crowder. I mean, it's, it's a 5 for 11 shooting game against Portland and a 4 for 11 shooting game against, uh, the Spurs. So we, you know, we shouldn't overstate how good he's been. But I think defensively, he's fit in really well right away. I talked to him last night and he says he still only learned a couple of the Jazz's plays and he, you know, kind of uh, opened his eyes real big when he described the size of Quinn Snyder's playbook. Like he still has so much left to learn. And I, I think we're kind of seeing that in terms of uh, what kinds of shots he's taking. I also just think, you know, he's not a very vertically athletic guy. And I think mm-hmm. we've seen that on a couple of occasions so far in the last two days where he, he struggles getting to the rim and, and finishing there. And, and, you know, that he had zero dunks on the season was was not an accident. But I, in terms of what he's brought, I think he's been being able to kind of slide himself in and, and make – uh, an impact right away has has been really impressive. And we go ahead. I mean, it can't be understated how terrible the locker room was in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everyone has ripped on that situation from Isaiah to Jay to Derek to I mean, it's it's been everyone who was in that locker room that's gotten out. Uh, heck, even the players who haven't gotten out yeah. are, are saying how much better it is to have. Uh, the new guys in there, the George Hills, the Rodney Hoods, or the Isaiah Thomases and, and everything else. And so I, I think, you know, and we're, we're seeing it right now as the Cavs play well on national TV. We've got a couple questions. Uh, let's see. At what price do you sign Derek Favors, re-sign Derek Favors to the Utah Jazz? That's asked by that Doolin kid. Um, we're gonna have Dan Clayton on the show at eight o'clock. And he wrote a, a good piece for Salt City Hoops today, answering your guys' questions on that, kind of what his price in the market looks like. To me, I, I, I think his market is actually really limited, and he may find himself signing a mid-level exception kind of deal at about $9 million a year, which is what the mid-level exception is right now um, for a, a certain the over-the-cap but under-the-tax kind of teams. Um, I. I don't know that there are going to be a lot of teams with cap space. Remember, there are only you know six teams with that maximum cap space that uh, they could open up this year. I don't know that there are any of those that are going to be really excited about adding Derek Favors' um, 28 through 32 seasons to their their books at, at higher than that $9 million. I, I could see him getting 10, 11, 12, and obviously it depends how he plays for the, the remaining 25 games, but... Uh, I think that's kind of what his market is. And if that's his market, then it depends on how long of a deal you want to sign him to. If the Jazz could re-sign him to a one- or two-year deal and kind of keep him on the the team while he's still young, while not kind of paying the back end of that, great. Uh, And if if some other team offers him more, I think he probably has to go elsewhere. 
Uh, and that's, again, such a shame given how good Derek Favors has been. But uh, in terms of a dollar fit, I, I think you're probably just going to get more mileage from, from putting guys who can shoot around Rudy Gobert. And if, especially if he's playing uh, the way that he has of late over the 10 game yeah. streak. Are you talking Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors? Uh, Derek Favors. Okay. Uh, and the way that he is being utilized there, I think he would, he would be very serviceable on the high end of, of what you're saying as far as his contract number. I truly expect, given uh, talking to people close to Derek, that I, I think he's going to go to the situation where he makes the most money. Not And uh, it doesn't sound likely to me that he'll give a hometown discount to the Utah Jazz. Now, that might change if you know the Jazz win the next 25 games and he's feeling really good about being oh on the Jazz and, and they really accomplish something special. 35-game streak. That would be pretty special. That would be <laughs> very, very special. Uh I, I just think that he's probably at some point going to be putting uh, kind of his future, his children's future, his uh, financial future over the, the team situation. And, you know, that's that's a decision George Hills make. That's a decision really 90% of NBA players make, and it's hard to, it's hard to blame them. Uh, what kind of interest do you think Howell Neto and Dante Exum get from other NBA teams this offseason? That's from Jeff at JPY Blue. That's a really interesting question to me. Uh, I, I think Howell Neto gets kind of Shelvin Mack interest, if you will, which is a serviceable point guard, backup point guard, not the best backup point guard in the league, um, but has a marginal starting experience, I suppose, and, and won't kill you. You know, honestly, two years at, at $6 million a year is what Shelvin Mack signed for. I bet a little bit less uh, on Howell Neto just because I don't think the Orlando Magic are likely to repeat that uh, purchase, if you will. But, you know, I, I think that's kind of the, the level of interest in Neto, maybe a little bit more because he's he's a younger player, but maybe a longer contract, I should say. So maybe, you know, a 3-15, 3-18 kind of deal. Dante Exum's a weird one, and I, in my mind... What Dante Exum gets completely and totally depends on how he plays from mid to late March, which is when uh, Dennis Lindsay has said he's coming back in a Utah Jazz uniform, and the end of the season. If he performs well, then he's earned uh, a, at least a look at that mid-level contract, and that $9, $10 million a year. And if not, then his market could evaporate in a hurry, as, as there's just zero proof of him being a, a, a positive NBA player in the 120 games he's played uh in his NBA career you know just look at his his shooting percentages and his offensive skill set he hasn't had that PER above 10 so you just want to see and and that's why you kind of root for Dante Axum to come back and show what he can do in this last month of the season is because it, it does make a huge difference to what his his uh end dollar value could be he's such a a question mark and you really don't know yeah what he's going to be that that taking a risk might not be worth it but Howell Neto is really an exceptional backup point guard for for an NBA club. He's an NBA player that that could give you uh, minutes off the bench to help sure. you out. Helping yeah, I, a good team. I agreed. And and honestly, right now he's kind of the third guard for this yeah. team, right? <laughs> I mean, you look at who Quinn Snyder is trusting at the end of games in, in the fourth quarter and he's avoiding the Alec Burks. Uh he's avoiding heck, you know, I I, I this isn't fair, but Jonas Jerebko, obviously not a guard, but 
Um, he's avoiding those guys down the stretch, and, and obviously the Jazz need Ricky Rubio back, and is going with Howell Neto to give his guys some time uh, on the bench to, to rest them a little bit. And, and you know, I think Howell Neto is probably underqualified for that third guard role, but in terms of a fourth guard uh, as your, you know, strictly backup point guard, that's that's about what you want. He takes care of the ball, uh, is turned himself into a good shooter, and is a pesky defender. Uh, let's see. Do we have? Oh, let's go ahead and take a break because uh, it is that time. On the other side, I do want to have this Donovan Mitchell Rookie of the Year conversation with you, JP, uh, because you are apparently a Ben Simmons homer. I can't abide by that, especially not after the the performances that Donovan Mitchell has put up in this last stretch of games. So we're going to talk about the Rookie of the Year race next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You are listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson and JP Chunga joining you on the show today. The topic du jour of this segment uh, is the rookie of the year race. And obviously, Donovan Mitchell uh, getting a lot of national attention right now from really kind of everyone. Uh, nationally, locally, fans, players, coaches, etc. I mean, they're they're just all in love with this kid. In fact, let me tell you some of the NBA stars' reactions, comments about uh, Donovan Mitchell. Some of these taken from the, the Jazz fans' message board, by the way. Uh, Damian Lillard, for example, after playing the Jazz yesterday, said, or I guess Sunday now, I think he should be Rookie of the Year for sure. All right, that's pretty clear. That's, that's a bad point for your... Uh, your argument, JP. Not just because of his numbers, but his impact on their team. He's basically leading them. It's special to see a rookie being able to do what he's doing out there. He's just a really, really, really good player. Not just for a rookie, just as a player in this league, period. He is very good. I, I will admit this. He is very good. Oh, what a hot take there from JP. Uh, also, understand, Andy... These players are also connected to him because he grew up in their circles. He what Ben Simmons? I mean, I guess Ben Simmons didn't as a, as an outsider Australian. Is that what you're saying? I might be saying. Did you see the uh, Australian MP talk about an anti-Australian bias? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Against both Ben and Joe and Ingles. Joe Ingles uh, shooting threes. I think there might be a little bit of that in in this uh, race because. Uh, Donovan Mitchell travels in all these circles. Of course, they're going to start heaping praise on him. He played at, with Melo at his pickup game in New York in L- and in sure. L.A. He's he's super connected. They're going to say flattering things about him. Um, ben Simmons has the outside track as far as the traction on the on the court with all these players, Andy. You need to understand that. Wake up. That's fair. On the other hand, now we're getting articles like this from the big lead saying that Donovan Mitchell has overtaken Ben Simmons in the rookie of the year the year race and they've got some good points they've you're you're looking at how Donovan Mitchell has has performed in the last 3 months 23 points a game in December 22 points a game in January 22 points a game now in February now shooting 42% from 3 by the way in the month of February that's that's a nice addition to to Donovan Mitchell's game uh he is Really leading the Jazz on this ten-game winning streak, and uh, has has been you know, is Donovan Mitchell the Jazz's best player? 
Rudy Gobert is the best player okay. on this team. I, I, I'm, it could go either way. He's at least, Donovan Mitchell's their best offensive player, right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Joel Embiid is the Sixers' best player on both ends of, uh, ends of the floor. Okay. Embiid has leads Philadelphia in points and rebounding. 23.8 points a game, 11.2 rebounds per game. And, uh, Ben Simmons is only putting up 16 points a game, admittedly, next to 7.7 rebounds and 7.3 assists. 16, 7, and 7. That's very good. Is it better than 24 and 3? Okay. Andy, he's also taking a thousand shots each yes. game. He's a volume scorer. You should understand this. Yeah, it's true. Ben Simmons isn't going outside of his game and taking crazy wild shots. No, he's not taking any shots. I in know. Exactly. I was Thank going you to bring bring that out there. Because... I was going to bring up 0 for 10 from three. <laughs> he doesn't shoot the three ball. <laughs> Shooting an astounding 0% uh, from deep. He doesn't shoot the ball, but he's, he's good at operating a team and at, at what he is able to do on an, on a good team with effective players, things go well. Yeah. It's, look, I, I have to admit that if, uh, Ben Simmons were on the Utah Jazz and, and Donovan Mitchell were on the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, I, I think it's easier to make the efficiency numbers case than it is to make the, Donovan Mitchell makes big plays and jumps really high case. And it's not a knock when when people like me say, I think Ben Simmons is the rookie of the year uh, over Donovan Mitchell. Being second in an awesome rookie of the year race is phenomenal. It, it, NBA grievance Twitter. I have I have a problem with you. <laughs> you okay? have a grievance with NBA grievance. Twitter. Yes, I do. <laughs> because any pro Simmons uh, tweet gets knocked down is anti Mitchell. It's it's really just a toxic environment. Let me ask you about the argument that uh Donovan Mitchell is a true rookie, whereas Ben Simmons having stayed out, out a year. No. I don't even entertain that one. That's a terrible no, sorry. <laughs> it's in it just it shouldn't factor into your rookie of the year contest whatsoever. Both are rookies. Both are rookies. Okay. Both have played, both are rookies in the NBA. Just because you have a red shirt year doesn't mean you're not still a freshman. Doesn't make what Donovan Mitchell is doing more impressive? Makes it as impressive. Okay, oh. so you're not giving Ben Simmons like any no. additional no. bonus for having watched those games? Nope. Okay. No, I, and I think there's a legit argument that Ben Simmons maybe wouldn't have been this good last year if he got to play. Uh, and has benefited from that experience, but it shouldn't be factored into the voting. I don't think it, uh, if you're factoring it into the voting, I don't think that's fair to Ben Simmons. Right. But I think there's a case to, to be made that Ben Simmons is, is better for that experience. Yeah. I, I also, uh, look at the usage rate of both of these players. Okay. Donovan's getting 29% usage rate, right? See, and, and, how many of those? Uh, I think the Jazz need Donovan Mitchell exactly. to do that, right? Well, and that, that's that's the point is okay. that uh, he's getting more uh, usage, so he's going to score more. He's going to accumulate those those type of stats, and obviously, since he's a volume shooter, he's going to uh, drastically move that uh, medal as well. Ben Simmons at twenty three percent and still being effective as a non shooter in the league—that's insane. That's really impressive. 
for me, at least looking at, at his games to game, he doesn't have this sort of Western Conference playoff race to go into um, in, in yeah. the East that, that he's trying to battle out uh, compared to Donovan, which probably doesn't help him on the Twitter sphere. Yeah, um, there's, there's, I, I think there is a different level of competition between yeah. the Western Conference and Eastern Conference, and I think that's, that's a good point. Uh, and you're right that there's kind of this narrative of, of there's a, a playoff battle. Although, to be honest, the Sixers are, are kind of in a playoff battle of their yeah. own. I mean, they're, they're only three games in the playoffs, and right now they're tied for the eighth seed with, with the Miami Heat. I mean, they're, they're not world beaters either way. I mean, really, in my mind, I think this, this comes down to, team success and if the jazz end up with with a better record or a higher seed than the philadelphia 76ers then it becomes really easy to say okay donovan mitchell was the guy on on the utah jazz and he is why they are where they are i i I think both players are are pretty visually impressive i think donovan mitchell for whatever reason stands out more than ben simmons and, and maybe that's uh we like scoring more than passing or whatever that is you know we don't rebounds aren't pretty although donovan mitchell's rebounds are are something else <laughs> I, I i don't know what it is um but clearly donovan mitchell i i think has taken a a buzz lead in this race um as we approach the all-star break i think we should pay attention to the the playoff race though in the east because what you have developing out there is the sixers they're going to have to stave off a charge from the pistons who are really pushing for it you're going to have to stave off the heat who are trying to move above you and if they can catch like the Pacers and go a notch okay. above, I think you have to really credit Ben Simmons because understand we're we're talking about teams that are fighting for the end of the playoff race. Yeah, I mean if if we're giving the Jazz credit for being within two or three games of of being the sixth seed, we have to give the Sixers credit for being within one game in the lost column of the four seed, right? Yeah. And so I I think that's a a fair argument to make, and and really. I mean, this is such a cop out of an answer, but it depends how the last twenty five games go, right? Like that's that's really what 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 it's going to be is is these last twenty five games are going to be a battle royale, not only for playoff positioning and uh, but this this rookie of the year race. Uh, I think it's I think it's fascinating. They are a nice coupling of like the rookie of the year battle off. I like also, I like what what you bring because these teams sort of are very comparable. Right. Mm, yeah. You you have uh people at at each position that can directly go across, and you could say, oh, I could see how um they could fit in uh, on both teams. You th- you think like I think the Jazz are, you know, three to four wins worse with Ben Simmons, and maybe vice versa, because you know obviously the Sixers have Joel Embiid, and and they need someone to set him up. Whereas if you put Ben Simmons on this Jazz team, I just don't know how this Jazz team scores really. I mean just everyone is in the paint at all times. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he's a Quinn Snyder player. Like it, mm. matching system to coach, I don't I don't know if that that would be a great a great fit because <laughs> would he play alongside Ricky Rubio? Yeah, that's what would happen? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, obviously you don't sign Ricky Rubio know, yeah. if you have a Ben Simmons, but yeah, that's an interesting case. That's just so strange uh for me. It's, it's sort of a nice fit for both the teams and this is what happens. Uh, with rookies, if they find the right place to go to, and if they're on the right team, they can really flourish. And Donovan has clearly flourished here, and Ben has clearly flur- flourished in Philadelphia. Jamin Winogar tweets in and says, Get this Donovan is an inefficient chucker narrative out of here. He has a better true shooting percentage than Ben Simmons. 
your thoughts, JP. I, you're, you're the you're the inefficient chucker narrative guy. I'm not calling him an inefficient chucker. I'm just saying he takes a lot of shots. He's a volume he's a volume scorer, and sometimes those shots don't go in. <laughs> yeah, I. Last night's game is a really interesting case of that, right? Because he, he does finish yeah. nine of twenty-eight, which is which is not a good line. And coming into the fourth quarter, he was what five of twenty-four, right? I mean, five of twenty-three, something like that. Just some really terrible shooting numbers. And so maybe you make the case that if he had taken better shots earlier on in the game, the Jazz don't have that deficit to make up. On the other hand, he won that game in the final minute and a half for the Utah Jazz and and made some huge plays on both ends of the floor to make that happen. Hit the shots when he needed to. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not a huge believer in, in clutch performance as, as something that's kind of moves forward, but I, I liked his ability to get good shots for himself at the end of the, that game, whether that be the, the pull up three or the pull up mid range shot. Um, the steal obviously was, was huge. Uh, and, and it's kind of those kind of things that we haven't seen Ben Simmons reliably do is be able to kind of manufacture and get his own shot when, because again, he doesn't have his own shot. You know, those possessions have gone to Joel Embiid for the most part for the Sixers. And the passing isn't sexy. Passing and rebounds the way uh, Ben Simmons does it, at least it's not sexy. You can see Donovan Mitchell. He's he's trying a no look pass in the second quarter uh, of that Spurs game, right? Yeah. Uh, ben Simmons isn't doing that. Right. Right. <laughs> he's not. He's not giving you the vine. A satisfaction that you get out of an NBA player. And I think that goes a lot in, in the discourse of this race between uh, rookie of the year. I think Ben Simmons early better start also gives yeah. him a lot of mileage that he's still using. All right. We got to take a break here on the show. Uh, I got to answer a couple Twitter questions in our next segment. And then we've got Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops writer coming up at eight o'clock. So stay tuned for that. You're listening here to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Gotta Jazz and the NBA. This Gotta is Salt get. City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, Gotta ESPN get. 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson, JP Chunga joining you. I told you we'd be answering listener questions, but we have one. Jump to the top of the line by calling us. You can do so, too, if you want. 877 877- Three five three zero seven hundred. But we've we've got Jared on the line right now. Jared, what's your what's your jazz NBA question for us? Hi guys, how are you? Good. Oh, it's more of a comment than a question. I okay. Just, I was listening to the the Ben Simmons Donovan Mitchell conversation you guys were having. Yeah. And you know, I don't know who it was. It's basically dumping on Mitchell about his shooting. That would be our man JP here, and he, he's he goes, sorry, man. But I go to Yahoo Sports and I go to. Ben Simmons, and one of the first things that comes up is Ben Simmons on Friday almost posted a triple-double, goes three for 11 shooting. That's 27%. Donovan Mitchell's 9 of 28 is 32 point something percent. So I don't understand what the rip is about it. Is it because of how many he's taking? Is that what makes you mad? It's not the the fact that he's taking so many. It's that he, he, he has so much leeway on this team to take as many shots and to miss as many shots because he's so heavily relied upon and so uh so much a part of the the offensive success of this team that he has to take so many shots and when he bricks them we don't bring it up but he makes up for it at the end like uh for instance last night against the Spurs he's able to win the game down the stretch and we sort of forget 
all of the misses that he has earlier on the game. Ben Simmons, throughout the year at least, has stayed within himself and within the Philadelphia offense so that he doesn't have to stretch himself to take uh, threes or or long twos. Well, isn't that Donovan staying within Utah's offense if he's doing what his coach is asking him to do? He is doing what he's uh, he's being asked to do, but I also say that Ben Simmons adds to what he does within Philadelphia by the way that he plays defense. And I'm not saying Ben Simmons isn't. No, I know, and I, I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell is is trash or he, <laughs> me dumping on his uh, his volume scoring. I'm just saying it's a part of the conversation that we need to consider when we're talking about Rookie of the Year. I, I think the problem is is everybody in October or September already had in their heads that Ben Simmons was going to be Rookie of the Year, and that's where Donovan Mitchell's trying to come from behind. But I think it's going to be a one-man race in the end. A one-man race. I, I think oh, maybe that is too much, but I, I do yeah. think that there's a a real possibility, maybe even a likelihood, that Donovan Mitchell wins it, especially if he continues and the Jazz continue to play like they have. Anyway, Jared, thanks so much for the call. We hey, really appreciate I, you listening. Thing. I wouldn't have gone to the point of MVP chanting last night, so <laughs> I'm not that big of a homer. All right. <laughs> We're good. I, yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening. All right, so, yeah, MVP probably too much, and I, I wonder if it was – uh the cause of one of Donovan Mitchell's free throw misses last night. But, but anyway, um, uh, you know, I, I think he makes a good point where, you know, do you give Ben Simmons credit for taking fewer shots and, and missing fewer of them? You know, is, is a three for 11 night better than a 19 for 28 night when sure that three for 11 one is a worse percentage, but then maybe you're, you're making it up. Uh, the nine for 28 one is making it up in, in, in other ways. I, I, I'm kind of I'm curious how you kind of look at it in, in a in a. It's just so hard because they're playing b- different roles on their teams, and and you do have to make those difficult comparisons. And yeah, I mean, I mean, they're playing this. The only thing that you could really say is the same is that uh, at times they play point guard. Um, sure, but even even that, Donovan Mitchell is also a two. Yeah, and it's uh, a very different point guard that they play, right? Exactly. And, and, you know, Ben Simmons' point guard is is a much more drive into the paint, find find his you know find his teammates, find Joel Embiid. Um, you know, really his he uses everything, and his his passing is his first threat rather than his shot. For Donovan Mitchell, it's it's the other way around. And while we've seen Donovan Mitchell make some incredible passes this season, some of the best cross court passes I've seen from any player in this league, let alone rookies. Uh, you know, certainly he's doing it less frequently than Ben Simmons is, and and you you do have to point that out as as a fair point in Ben Simmons' favor. I'd still take Donovan Mitchell personally. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got Dan Clayton joining us. He's a Salt City Hoops writer, answering your questions on Derek Favors, Dante Exum, what they can uh, expect in free agency, and of course his thoughts on what's behind this Jazz ten-game winning streak that's coming up next here on the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN Seven Hundred. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, J.P. Chunga, my co-host today. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com as well. JP is the producer here at ESPN 700 of the Gunther and Hackett Show, 2 to 6 weekdays here 
on the radio show, uh, on the radio station, I should say. This is a, a different radio show. Uh, joining me now, though, is, is the former Spanish voice of the Utah Jazz, current Brooklyn resident and uh, associative, I guess, associate producer, I should say, assistant, pro- I don't know what you are. Dan Clayton's a very important person on for SaltCityHoops.com. Dan, how are you? Suddenly having an identity crisis, but other than that, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, I seem to be att- getting chaos everywhere around me with uh, getting hit by a car in Memphis last week. And then, yeah, I heard the, about the, that. Uh, house across the street from me caught fire yesterday, a total loss for the, the residents in that unit. So everything is crazy in my world, but uh, the basketball story is, is pretty fun. Dang, I, I didn't hear about part two of that story um, I, I didn't want people knowing where i live and now you can look it up if you, you <laughs> yeah. <so> choose yeah. <laughs> he just gave it away on the radio excellent job yep <laughs> um anyway dan i i want to ask you kind of i i guess uh, let's start here this is something i asked jp in in the first segment of the show what do you think is the most impressive win for the jazz out of these 10 um well i, I mean they shouldn't have won on monday night against san antonio um, you know, down 13 in the fourth quarter to a good team um, without Ricky Rubio, a bad night overall, although he had some, you know, he had some moments late, but uh, a bad shooting night for Donovan Mitchell. Like normally you don't overcome that kind of stuff. Um, but, but, but I would honestly say that the game at Toronto, Toronto is better than a lot of people realize just because they don't get a ton of publicity. They don't get a ton of, of buzz. Um, at a national level, or I guess an international level, since they're from um, Great <laughs> Canada. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they like that was a road game. It was a game where they trailed most of the way. It was a game. It, it was kind of before they had this unbeatable mojo. It was one of the games that set up that unbeatable mojo. So I think Toronto was a really impressive game, and and one that kind of gave them the momentum and the confidence to think that they could beat Golden State and to think that they could beat Portland on the road and to think that they could come back against San Antonio despite a bunch of things not being right. So I, I'll go with Toronto, but really, like, you know, throw a dart at a dartboard. There have been a lot of impressive wins in this stretch. What has been working for the Jazz, in, in your opinion, the most uh, that has allowed them to go on this 10-game uh, winning streak? Yeah, good question. I, someone asked me that today on our on our Q&A at saltcityhoops.com. And so my answer, I, I think, um, obviously, Rudy Gobert is really important. And I think that, um, you know, it's not an accident that their turnaround coincides um, pretty closely with when Gobert was back available. But I don't think it's all Gobert. In fact, I think what happens when an NBA team is missing their best player and the guy who kind of has forged their identity is that um, – is that you know guys kind of press a little and they start thinking about how do I how do I compensate for this not being there and how do we make up for this many rebounds and how do I you know Derek Favors might go out thinking like oh I got to try to be Rudy Gobert tonight instead of just being what Derek Favors is and so I think that it's that it's Rudy being back and the you know all NBA level impact that he has on on the defense but also just the fact that when he's back guys can just be who they are um, and they've they've been playing very selfless basketball they've they've been playing egoless for the most part last night they they got a little panicky being down to the spurs and and did some hero ball stuff but for the most part it's been you know guys passing up good shots 
to give their teammates better shots. And it's been guys defending um, on a string, like one five-man amoebic organism that that flexes and bends and, and covers what it needs. I mean, it's just been a really great um, exhibition of team basketball, and I, and I think that that's been the important thing, although, although certainly Rudy's presence helps. And then it also helps, obviously, to have Rubio shooting the way he's been shooting lately. Yeah, and, and obviously Joe Ingles, too, just you know, 57% from three is... It's crazy for for yeah. obvious reasons. Uh, they're getting out of Royce O'Neal. I mean, like yeah. you go down the list on an individual level, but but I think to sum it up, it's just they're they're kind of there's a joy right now. Um, they're they're deriving joy from playing team basketball. Is I think the the bottom line. How do you think Jay Crowder is fitting into that so far? Yeah, I mean, it, like he clearly still doesn't know where he's supposed to be in a bunch of different situations, <laughs> yeah. offensively and defensively. Last night there was a time when he literally kind of bumped into a teammate because he thought he was supposed to retreat to the left corner, and I think it was Joe Ingles was already in the left corner. And, like, stuff like that is bound to happen. But Jay is um, – I, I think what Dennis Lindsay is trying to do is he's trying to find guys who um, who fit the culture and, and who kind of have the right attributes and want to play a certain way and – like he'll worry about you know he'll let he'll let Quinn sort of figure out the X's and O's around that. But and the reason I say that in in response to your question, Andy, is because Jay I think just plays hard enough and is focused enough. Um, you know, with the exception of a couple of months that things just weren't working in Cleveland for anybody. Um, you know, he's a guy that'll just make himself fit because he's smart. He plays hard. Um, he knows the game well enough that it doesn't matter if he always knows exactly which route he's supposed to run. Um, I think, I, I said this long before the Jazz traded for him, I, I kept mentioning him as someone that I thought the Jazz should try to should try to ask about. I think that Jay Crowder is a Jazz-type player. I think he is a system guy who was in search of a system. And, um, and what the Jazz do kind of philosophically is very similar to what the Brad Stevens Celtics do and did, and and also similar to what the Rick Carlisle Dallas Mavericks did, and that was Jay's first stop where he was also very successful. So I think it's going to work out, um, and certainly we're seeing early signs of just the defense and you know heady playmaking and things like that. What were your initial th- thoughts on that Hood Crowder trade when it, when it came down on Thursday? Yeah, I mean I was for it. Um, I, I do think, like many people. There was a there was a moment of okay the Jazz put Hood in the trade who's probably the best player in that trade so what else are they getting back um, so I certainly understand that sentiment of you know should the Jazz have been able to extract a second round pick or swap rights or something like that um, but at, you know at the end of the day I think you um, again back to back to my point about Dennis Lindsay for a minute. I think what's interesting about Dennis is there are a couple of different ways you can run a franchise. You can do things the Boston and Portland way where you go out there and you try to like win every trade by X amount. So that like by arbitrage, you're getting better by 3% every time you make a trade and then you make the next trade and you get better 4% and and just by doing that you kind of keep parlaying your assets up and things like that. And I don't really think that's how Dennis approaches it. And I think he's willing to, particularly with in-season trades, I think he's willing to quote-unquote lose a trade 
if it means getting someone who fits what the Jazz are trying to do and, and, and how they're trying to play. And I don't, you know, he doesn't, I'm not saying he loses trades habitually. In fact, his off-season trades have been fleecings, if you think about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. But, you know, Rudy, uh, excuse me, Rodney Hood was the best player in that, in that Jazz-Cavs-Kings deal, and he was an outgoing asset, right? Ennis Cantor was the best player in the Ennis Cantor trade, and he was an outgoing asset. Those are two trades that if you're just evaluating strictly on kind of who gave the best asset, who got the best asset, the Jazz quote-unquote lost those trades. But the Ennis Cantor trade certainly made the Jazz better if you think about what it allowed them to do with Rudy Gobert and, and moving forward and committing to that path. And, you know, we'll see. It's too early to, to say if the, if the Hood-Crowder deal will have the, a similar type of impact. But, um, but I just I don't think he's worried about sort of the scoreboard aspect of the trade. I think he's worried about putting together a roster that works with Quinn Snyder's philosophy. Dan, you, you do this. Uh, we've got Dan Clayton here from Salt City Hoops joining us. Dan, you've, you've got this weekly question and answer session you do on Salt City Hoops every, every Monday. And this week you actually had so many questions you had to split it up into a two-part mailbag. But yesterday's was a lot about the, the free agency statuses and, and the future of Dante Exum and, and Derek Favors in a Utah Jazz yep. uniform. Kind of want to ask you uh, just kind of the basic question, and I guess it's a simpler ask than it is an answer, but what do you think that those guys are going to be getting ballpark in, in free agency? I was going to say, that's a, that counts as a basic question. <laughs> I know, right? That's not fair. That's, a, that's an incredibly complex question, um, you know, for, for favors and then even more so with Exum. But I, I guess let's start with Fave. I mean, um, you know, in a vacuum, like let's pretend that we didn't know anything about this year's market and the fact that everybody spent into oblivion the last two summers, and so now there's kind of a reckoning, and and nobody knows if you know three teams are going to have cap space or five teams, but it's not going to be much more than that. So, but if we didn't know any of that, and you were just looking at the list of available free agents this summer, um, you know, Derek Favors is like a top fifteen free agent, probably. Yeah. Um, Maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower. But then if you start to cross off the guys like, okay, Kevin Durant is, you know, he's a player option guy. He's either going to opt in or he's going to opt out and quickly sign a max deal with Golden State. He's staying put. He's not really, I mean, he's, he could be a free agent for like five minutes, but he's not really a free agent in the sense of the word. So, you know, if you cross guys like that off and then you cross guys like Jabari Parker who are restricted free agents, so they don't have the same freedom of mobility. And you really look at kind of who's gettable and, and who teams could call and and you know just sign a contract with on July first, then favors is even higher. So you you look at that and you say, wow, there's probably going to be some money out there for favors somewhere. Um, what's what's tricky is we don't know which of those teams that has that 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 have the cap space are trying to do things with it this summer. Which ones of them are trying to kind of keep the proverbial powder dry? for 2019 when some bigger name free agents hit the hit the market um so i i don't know i mean i still assume favors is going to get something kind of eight figures for sure maybe into the mid-teens and and you know maybe if it's a shorter deal um you know maybe something closer to what we would traditionally think is his market value but like literally if if two big name free agents switch teams like that in and of itself, would pretty much take up all of the available cap space, or, or at least right. the and available then, 
and then he has to settle for the mid-level. Well, right. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if it'll get that dire for favors. Yeah, Um, agreed. Like there are there are there are only like three teams, three, four, five teams that can clear max cap room, Um, meaning enough enough cap room to sign a Jabari Parker or a Paul George or someone like that. There are another handful of teams that could, if they that, that have avenues to clear, you know, fifteen million, twelve million, sixteen million. Um, the question is, are any of those teams that Favors would want to sign with at, at a stage in his career when he wants to probably be competitive, right? Because it seems like Atlanta. Now he's from Atlanta, but they're kind of a mess basketball-wise, and they're probably going to be a mess for another couple of years. Um, Chicago has the option of creating some cap room. Um, Dallas does, and I guess Dallas is is maybe somewhat interesting, but they can't get as high as other teams can get. L.A., but they're supposedly they supposedly have a bunch of that earmarked for Paul George and maybe one other Max guy. So I mean, they're just Philadelphia is another one, but they have Joel Embiid at center, and so does Favors want to go face the same conundrum there that he has in Utah, where there's a little bit of a positional identity question, and how many minutes does he get if he is primarily kind of thought of as a center when right. on a on a team whose best player is a center? So, like, that's the question: is so then does he go take a one, you know, do the George Hill thing where he takes a deal with someone like Sacramento, and then might be miserable for a season or two, like George Hill was? I mean, George Hill absolutely had to like parachute out of Sacramento because. Um, it just wasn't a great basketball situation. So, but on the other hand, he's still getting paid, <laughs> right? Like he's still getting paid the twenty million a year that that he got from Sacramento. Now playing for the best, you know, one of the uh, NBA Finals favorite, I guess you could still say. You know, like yeah. it, it, it's yeah. worked out for for him. You know, I it's funny we were talking about this earlier on in the show, and and I've heard from I you know I, I guess from some people that uh, Derek favors is going to be looking out for maybe his financial future before his situation on his next team. And if that's okay. the case, then, you know, the Atlantis of the world get interesting. It's just kind of whether or not the Atlantis of the world want to sign a Derek Favors at this point of their rebuilding process. Yeah, sure. And, and I mean, you're absolutely right. George Hill got to have his cake and eat it, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was lucky. And so... Maybe it goes that way for Fave, you know? Like, maybe he goes and, and signs someplace that's less attractive in the short term. And um, I will say players are moving these days more than they ever have in the past because of shorter contracts and because, again, we're back into a situation where teams are butting up against the cap. So because of all those situations, like, personnel is a lot more fluid in the NBA today than it was 10 years ago. So he could go someplace and, and, and get the paycheck and worry about the rest later. Um, absolutely. I, I still think his floor is probably in like the twelve million range, okay. um, but again, it doesn't take that many free agents, um, big name free agents, moving to kind of dry, dry that money up, and and then all of all of a sudden, all bets are off. Uh, how about the Dante Exum side of the of things? Oh man. Um, can I just pretend I'm going through a tunnel or something? And that's it. Like, <laughs> right, like there's just no answer here, really, given what we know of Dante Exum of a player, which is honestly like we have what 120 games of of Dante Exum's career, and 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 really, okay, it's 148. Uh, thanks, and, and really, it's uh, you know how many of those has he been 
a a plus player for that you know I, I think he's made it clear he's an NBA player but you don't know if you're getting a third point guard or a you know a a starting level caliber two way defensive problem offensive you know first step kind of guy a slasher you you really just don't know what Dante Exum is yeah yeah having said that like I have heard from a lot of people that you know there are some Dante Exum believers out there. Um, I do, in the league I, or in in the Jazz? In the, in the league. Okay. I do believe that phone calls were made asking about Dante Exum before the trade deadline. So, you know, if a team was going to go trade for him heading into restricted free agency while he's injured, that probably means they're a team that is interested in controlling his destiny with with restricted free agent rights. Yes. So, you know, the the um, the GM speak on restricted free agency is that it only takes one jerk. That's that's not the phrase. I'm cleaning it up because it's a family show. But you know, it only takes one jerk to overpay your guy right. and and force you into a kind of a tough financial situation. And I think there are probably just enough jerks in the NBA that still believe because because here's what's different about Dante Exum from say. Alfred Payton, who was also a high draft pick that year and just got dumped for a second-round pick at the trade deadline. Like, Dante's tools, what made Dante a lottery talent, has been on display when he's played. Um, You're right, it's been off and on in some categories of his game. The vision stuff and the reads he struggled with a little bit last year after an impressive rookie season. Um, But, you know, like defensively, I think he's established a floor. Um, I think he's shown that he's probably a rotation-quality NBA player going forward. Um, So if your floor is kind of Sean Livingston type, then, like, you're probably going to find, you're probably going to find somebody who's willing to throw the mid-level at you, right? So I would kind of think Dante's floor is the mid-level. That said, the same thing we were just talking about, we were talking about with favors about how the money could dry up. You know, Exum is a lot further down that list of top free agents, and not everyone is even going to have or want to use the mid level this season. The, the full mid level of nine million, it's, it would start at nine million. Um, the problem is once teams use that that full mid level exception, it puts a hard cap on how much they can spend next season. So any team that wants to have flexibility beyond July might want to think twice about using the full mid-level. So there are only going to be so many of those slots to go around. So, again, I, I just I don't know where it's going to go. In a normal environment, I would say absolutely Exum is going to find someone at least willing to throw the mid-level at him. This year, I just I don't know. I don't know. And maybe we'll see him in March and April, and maybe he'll start to answer some of those questions with his play, um, for better or for worse. But right now, it's just there are so many variables market-wise, and and certainly XM wise as well. Here's uh, here's how David Locke kind of put together a, a plausible scenario. And I, I don't think he was operating on any like inside information here, but he he thought maybe you could go to Dante Exum at the beginning of free agency and say, look, you've got we don't know if you're going to be able to get the mid level, uh, but you know what, let's let's assume that you can. I don't think you're going to get be getting a lot more than the mid level. What if you sign a a three year thirty million dollar contract with a team option on the third year uh, and or a player option on the third year I should say so that kind of limits the Jazz's long term exposure because you know you you you're not signing a four uh, a fourth year um, but if if you explode as a player 
and you know you become the player that you and your representation think you can be then you have the opportunity to actually go out and get your money while you're still uh, a young guy going into their into your prime yeah well I, I will say i don't know how the numbers will work out when the jazz sit down with dante and on july 1st but approach wise i hope that's what they do i hope they don't do the um go out and fish for, you know go out and set your market thing um yeah. I think that often that backfires. Um, it did with Hayward, and I, I don't want to like overdo that point because, like, look, how much of a factor that was three years later, we'll never know. Um, but I think in this particular situation with Axum and where he's at and everything that the Jazz have invested in him and everything that he's invested in trying to get ready to play, like, I just think that kind of you know dangling his future in front of him would, would probably lead to ill will. I would, um, I would be very much for the Jazz sitting down with him early in the process and saying, like, hey, we're going to make you an offer. Feel free to shop this around. Feel free to, to talk to people and, and see if you can get a better offer that we have to match. But, like, right out of the gate, we're going to make a good-faith offer that we think is fair and, you know, see if he takes it. He may take it. I mean, this is a kid who, you know, he has felt the branch creak under his feet multiple times in his career. So security would not be a bad thing for Dante Exum. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, going back to Gordon Hayward just really quick, I, I think that did happen a little bit with Gordon Hayward in that they offered him what I, I think it, the the word was that they offered him four fifty two as their kind of their last offer be, before so, around there, yeah. And then he ends up signing what four sixty three, which is you know a substantial increase, but it's it's two million dollars a year, um, and, and so you uh, you know there was kind of that initial offer, it just wasn't good enough, and honestly. Gordon Hayward and Mark Bartelstein were absolutely right at reading the market in terms of Gordon Hayward's interest. Well, right, but the 452 or 453 or whatever it was, that was offered at the extension, at the extension okay. negotiations. And I'm talking about how, especially back in the Kevin O'Connor days, the Jazz were very big on, um, if you're a restricted free agent, oh, we don't want to bid against ourselves. You go okay. out and find an offer, and, and then you know we'll decide whether or not to match it. And, and that hurt I with do, Wes Matthews with Paul Millsap. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, now, Paul, like, look, Paul signed a reasonable deal and they matched it, but they lost Wes Matthews by playing that game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Portland signed him to a deal that the Jazz could not match without using their full mid-level, and using their full mid-level just would have really limited them at a time when they were cap-constricted, so they had to let Matthew, Wes Matthews walk. And um, so, so I'm just, all I'm saying is, um, I understand that I understand that the Jazz did make a good faith offer to Gordon Hayward in the fall before his fourth season, but I'm saying that when July 1st hits, I just think it makes a big difference in the message that you send your guy. If you show up with an offer, even if it's not the offer that's as high as you're willing to go, just making a good faith offer at that moment says, hey, we believe in you, we understand that you're a free agent, we understand that you want to you know, talk around and get the best offers, but right out of the gate, we want to tell you that we're excited about your future and, and here's what we're willing to invest. So I just think that would make a big difference, especially for someone like X. Yeah, and be that, that first phone call. I think that's, that's a reasonable case. Uh, that's probably right. All right, we gotta we got to take a break here, Dan. But thank you so much for joining us for these last 20 minutes on talking about the, the Utah Jazz 10-game winning streak and then you know the, the big questions of the summer as well with the free agency of Dante Exum and Derek Favors. Still a lot to be decided there. Um, tell us where we can follow you. SaltCityHoops.com, um, and on Twitter, I'm Dan Clayton, but it's Dan DanClayton0N. Cool. 
Thanks so much, Dan. All right, like I said, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got to answer your Twitter questions. We're going to go around the NBA talking about the association, and we've got much more coming in uh, up in store for you here in the Salt City Hoop Show right here on ESPN 700. Yes. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Taliban. Taliban. Yeah. Jumpin', 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 them boys up to something. They just spent like two or three weeks out the country. Them boys up to something. Alright, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, JP Chunga joining you. For the last half hour of the show, we're here every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. here on ESPN 700. If you've missed any of the show, including our interview with Dan Clayton just barely, you can check it out on ESPN700sports.com. We also upload the show as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher after the show. Um, so you can check that out and just do a search for Salt City Hoops on either of those podcast feeds. We've got some questions that we've actually had throughout the show and... Um, just finally getting to them. It's been an action-packed Salt City Hoop show because of, well, the Jazz won 10 in a row and there's a lot to talk about. But I, I like this question from Wheezy at Sean Eddy 5 asks, Yo, comma, who do you guys think is the best team that the Jazz could realistically beat in a seven-game series? Wow. You look at, you know, we were talking about the 538 projections for the Jazz where you know, they they actually say that there's a a real shot for the Jazz to be maybe the five seed in this conference behind the Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, and Timberwolves. Um, that's where they're currently projected at right or right now actually the the six seed behind the Thunder. But the they're projecting the Jazz have 46 wins, the Thunder 47 wins, the Timberwolves 48 wins, the Nuggets 44 wins. I mean, everyone is really in this really small window of wins and and you could see the jazz get anywhere from really fourth to ninth or 10th. Um, so given that there's a wide range of potential opponents that the jazz could face in the first round, who's the best team that the jazz could beat? The best team that the jazz could beat, I think might be the Timberwolves because of the way that they play. Cause they, they don't, they sort of play into the way that the jazz want to play uh, defensively in that they they'll take twos and they, they're willing to do that it's not like the that they're playing the rockets uh which which want to shoot threes i think yeah i think the timberwolves would be the high like the edge of where i would go as as okay. far as teams the best team that they could be look i mean we saw the the jazz play a really banged up spurs team last night and and they were still Really good, the Spurs last night. Uh, but that we've we seen the Jazz play a, a relatively healthy Spurs team, at least as healthy as, as the Spurs have been all year, with Kawhi Leonard playing, although not the entire game. He played 20 minutes in, in that Jazz matchup at home earlier on in the year, and the Jazz came out with a win there on the second game of a back-to-back. I, I think there's a, a case you can make that the Jazz would give the Spurs a, a tough time. And, and really, in, in terms of Mr. Wheezy's question here, uh, I, I think saying that they could realistically beat the Spurs in a seven-game series is, is not out of the question. I would agree with that. I, that, that is a, a realistic way, way to look at that they could beat the Spurs. I think they could definitely beat the Timberwolves. Like that yeah, is a team that, that they match, they match up perfectly. That would be a nice matchup to have in the first round. And I think the the Thunder are a more difficult matchup for the Jazz than the Timberwolves would be. Yeah. 
Oh, um, 100%. And, yeah. and really, honestly, for maybe a lot of teams, given just the star power of those two teams, uh, uh, you know, I think the Thunder have done a lot of figuring things out over the course of this year, but in terms of what they've done, or at least shown the ability to do defensively, it's at a whole different level than, than the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, and, you know, some of these additions that they're rumored to be making, guys like a Derek Rose are not going to help you on the defensive end. Yeah, I, okay. I, I 100%. Yeah, uh, having uh, Derek's flight being derailed from Utah to Minneapolis. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Uh, Jake Peranovich asks, what is the Royce O'Neal contract situation like? Do we risk losing him like with Wes Matthews? That's a great question, and you know we've heard a, a comparison between Royce O'Neal and Wes Matthews a bunch of times throughout the season, and I, I see why they're kind of similar players where they were, they were undrafted. Both are, are two guards, uh, strong defensively, making the right plays offensively, and surprisingly capable uh, shooters and dribblers, especially Wes Matthews before that Achilles injury. Uh, the difference is that the Jazz were smart enough to to lock Royce O'Neal up to a three year deal. Uh, when they first signed him. This first year was guaranteed. The next two years aren't fully guaranteed. And so the Jazz have those team options uh, moving forward. And, and that means that you have one of the best, you know, you have a, a one of the best role player contracts in the league, especially among guys who aren't on a, a regular rookie scale first round draft uh, contract or uh, a, a max contract guy, which, you know, like LeBron James should be making $50 million and just the CBA limits him to 30. Um, that That's not the case with Royce O'Neal. And and really that the Jazz have him for two more years after this is, is really, really nice if he can continue this level of play. I wouldn't say he's reached uh, the West Matthews era of edge of his potential yet. I, I think he's could certainly get better than than what he's playing right now. Do you mean Wesley Matthews, his rookie season with the Jazz, or Wes Matthews and kind of his his peak? His peak. Okay. Yeah, his, I agree his with peak that. of of what he's doing right now. Yeah. No. But I mean, you look at Wes Matthews' rookie season, and and you know, it's nine points a game, two point three rebounds, one point five assists. It was really kind of about Wes Matthews being a a spot up shooter, made thirty eight percent of his threes, uh, and, and finisher at the rim when he when he was assisted. Then took on a bigger role in Portland and, and made the most of it. You know, started to play 33 minutes a game, scored 16 points a game that second sophomore year for him. Uh, you know, I, I certainly Royce O'Neal is not at those scoring averages yet. He's not at even the 9.4 points per game yet. But in terms of what he's been able to do in terms of impacting the game on both ends of the floor, uh, I see some similarities there. And I think really if the Jazz do make the playoffs, we could see a Royce O'Neal coming out party in the same way we saw Wesley Matthews have his coming out party in, in the playoffs against the Denver Nuggets that rookie season. Uh, we've got a question from Josh White at Awesome Destroyer. That's a That's a fun name. When will Ricky Rubio be back? When will the streak end? And what playoff position will the Jazz finish in? Predictions, please. We've talked a lot about uh, one of those questions on the show, where the, I guess two of those questions on the show, uh, where the Jazz will finish and what playoff prediction that would be, uh, position that would be. You know, we've talked. Uh, you're kind of saying six is their ceiling and kind of sticking with it. I do think that there is a possibility of getting to four or five. It, it, I don't think that's likely by any means. And, you know, really the most realistic outcome is probably seven or eight. Let's, let's be honest about that. But I, you know, I, in terms of putting a ceiling on what this jazz team is, is capable of, I don't want to be doing that. 
I I have maintained that that sixth position as as the spot that would be the absolute everything goes right for the Jazz because uh, of the teams that they have to jump, and and then I look at the second part of the question: where could this streak end? Yeah, I think obviously the the Rockets game is the one that you circle coming up. Um, I think the Portland one gives you a challenge because it's after the All Star break and teams being motivated after this all-star break rather than heading into uh, a bit of of rest for themselves could provide uh, a bit of of trouble for the jazz sure uh, i think obviously the suns game tomorrow night has to be a, a win and an extender of this streak yeah if, if you're looking at if you're asking the yeah. question you're you're assuming that the jazz will will beat the suns tomorrow night yeah, look, Nylon Calculus actually did an, a nice, timely study on this, looking, asking how long will the Jazz's win streak continue? And what they did was looked at the Jazz's next 16 games and figured out what are the odds that the Jazz win each of those individual games? And, you know, given that, when will the streak likely end? What's the percentage odds that they reach 11, 12, 13, 14, even 16, 17, 26 in a row they get all the way up to? And look, so there's an 88.3% chance they win tomorrow night against the Suns, hapless. Um, you know, I think that's fair. But then you look at, there's a 68% chance that they, they beat the Trailblazers, a 76% chance that they beat the Dallas Mavericks, another bad team that you probably should yeah. win, win against. And then you've got the Houston Rockets game you mentioned, and that's at 51%. The Jazz, you know, that's pretty good given where the Rockets are, and, and honestly that they're 29 and 1 when their big three play, uh, actually 30 and 1 after tonight. But, Given that the Jazz are playing this well and are at home, to me, that's probably the likely breaking point where uh, you'd have to say you're most likely to lose a streak. But then after that, you've got some really winnable games against the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Sacramento Kings, Orlando Magic, Indiana Pacers. That's a tough matchup on the road, but still one you could win. Memphis, New Orleans, Detroit, Phoenix, Sacramento, Atlanta, Dallas, San Antonio, just listing off those next 15 games. There are some tough ones in there. You know, the Pelicans are not an easy win. The Spurs are obviously not an easy win, not on a back-to-back. But there are some games in there where you have a 80-90% chance of winning, and, and that's huge for the Jazz in this Western Conference playoff picture. I look at that that Portland game, though, and I think that's coming out of the All-Star break. That's really a thorny one that um you want to have the second half of the season, post All Star break, go on a good foot to start that. And, and you know, I, I guess you kind of lose the momentum. You you lose that team. Uh, momentum's not a real thing. Yeah, in sports. I, I understand the crutch word of momentum that you use there, but like like the way that they're they're playing right now and, and the chemistry that that's working that out. That I now. think is what you lose yeah. is kind of that familiarity that exactly. you've had that you've shown. And and really, like Dan said, this has been a a streak that's been about playing team basketball and you might lose some of that compatibility um when you when you do have a nine game or nine day break between games. But then again, Jay Crowder gets a look at the playbook now. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so that's he, a good point. Maybe he, gets, he learned some things. He gets to understand the the plays at this point. If you're if you're Jay Crowder in the Utah Jazz, you say go home and take your break, you know, you've played fifty three games this season, you you you've deserved your break, or do you do you put him to work? Do you send him to the library this this break? Oh, it's homework time okay. for, for Jay Crowder at this point because uh yeah, he, he needs to understand the plays because in Cleveland he wasn't practicing right that's a good <laughs> I mean, point so he's, he's not on. that tired yeah he's not that tired in that respect but in the other 
in the other end, you want to get him back to those good habits. And, and from the toxicity that he had to deal with in Cleveland, where you're not practicing, you have a crazy locker room, uh, you're, you're traveling with, with LeBron James and this, this cavalcade of media, uh, exposure. And now you're in Utah in a more comfortable situation. And, and he has to get into her, to that system, which as a character player, he already is a part of, a part of as of right now. Speaking of that Western Conference playoff picture, the the Spurs and the Nuggets are about to tip off on TNT. Spurs obviously playing the Jazz last night, so they're on the second game of a back-to-back. And indeed, this is a really bad travel situation for them, too, going from Utah to Denver. It's it's actually, I've been looking at the, the sleep studies by Sherry Ma, a uh, neuroscientist, I believe, at Harvard. And, and so what she does is ranks every NBA game on how damaging damaging it is from a schedule point of view, a travel point of view. And this is a game at the end of a Spurs road trip on a back-to-back against two good teams at altitude. At altitude, yeah. This is a, a difficult win for the Spurs as much as you would like. As a Jazz fan, for the, the Spurs to win this game and send Denver further down in, in the in the playoff rating rankings to give your, your yourself another shot. Uh, a better shot, I should say. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see if the shorthanded Spurs can come out with this one. This is why I've always questioned the utility of a rodeo. Because <laughs> <laughs> this, the rodeo trip hurts the Spurs. Yeah, 100%. Clearly, uh, Haberstro has delved in, into the, this uh, effect as well. Yep. Um, this, <laughs> the rodeo road trip is definitely a detriment to the way that the Spurs play. That, that's that's true, and you know it's funny. You know, in their best seasons, they've gone out of the rodeo trip surprisingly well, right? And we'll yeah. see. I, I like this. This Spurs team is just so different than um, you know when you have Kawhi Leonard healthy, and certainly when you have the prime Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan Spurs. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a different beast. And uh, I I mean. The NBA is great, by the way. Uh, this is why you have to have a, a Maverick Center or, or somewhere else in your city. You have to build another arena so that they can have the rodeo while you're in town. Uh, while we're complaining about rodeos in San Antonio, <laughs> San Antonio is actually, I, I was surprised at how much I enjoy the Riverwalk. Uh, but they need to have some hotels or something close to the AT&T Center whatsoever. It's like if the AT&T, it's like if the, if the Vivint Arena were in Tooele. There's just nothing out there from a, I, I, people live in Tooele, I understand. People live <laughs> next to the AT&T Center, but there's no entertainment, there's no culture out there, uh, next to the AT&T Center, and that's, that's a real shame. The best parts of San Antonio are easy to ignore on a road trip, and that's, that's not right. I mean, it's clearly just the river, river, river walk, walk in, uh, there's in the San Alamo. Uh, true. Remember, <laughs> you I, forgot the I Alamo. I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> What happened there? <laughs> Bad thing to forget. <laughs> All right. We've got to take a break. We've got one more segment left in the Salt City Hoop Show. Keep listening right here on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the final segment of the Salt City Hoop Show here on ESPN 700. Andy Larson, JP Chunga joining you for a few more minutes, uh, talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA. We, we wanted to go around the NBA. We've talked a lot about the Western Conference and Eastern Conference playoff race. Uh, and certainly that's, that's very important as we go into the All-Star break. 
a lot of teams playing tomorrow uh and, and you know before that 8 to 9 day break before the the NBA's next game next Thursday um but we do have uh, this last night in particular the warriors beating the suns by 46 points uh while coaching themselves, Steve Kerr took a backseat and let Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala, uh, Steph Curry drop some plays in the huddles, really call plays even for their teammates. And you can't say it didn't work because they blew out the, blew out the Suns, who without uh, Devin Booker are really bad, by 46 points. That got us thinking. We wanted to answer two questions. Who is the best player that if you made them into a coach right now, not the, who is the best? Who is the player that if you made them into the coach right now, be the best coach? And my gut reaction that I gave was Jared Dudley, who was who was in the involved in that game, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, is honestly doing broadcasting right now. Yeah. Is yeah, was involved in that game. Teammates talk about him as a coach on the floor, and yet if he's a coach on the floor, they're losing by forty six points. <laughs> so I'm worried that this might be a a Earl Watson situation where you've got a guy who. Uh, maybe referred to as a good future coach, but doesn't actually have the the requisite coaching know-how. You know, Jared Dudley is not Earl Watson, certainly, no. but I, I I worried a little bit about what Jared Dudley would bring. I then uh, offered up Richard Jefferson as a possible uh, person uh, who could be, in this scenario, a great player coach. Yep. He has a great IQ. He, he can talk about the game uh, extensively uh, in media and, and, I mean, the podcast that he does. Yes. Uh, is somebody who could do this? Uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the players actually that has been named as maybe a future coach that surprised me in recent trade conversations was Joe Johnson, who you know we we don't hear a lot from Joe Johnson from a media point of view, and certainly like his his playbook has been pretty limited, right? He's ISO Joe, but uh, apparently he has a a pretty good knowledge, a, a great knowledge even is is what I've heard of of kind of the the X's and O's of the game and. In terms of a, a personality, is is already acting like a coach on the floor. So I, I thought that was interesting to hear, in in the wake of him being traded to the Sacramento Kings and and again ultimately being bought out. Um, some other names around the league, you know, there uh, you could look at someone like a Jason Terry. I could see is absolutely a, a guy who ends up with a coaching role. Um, who you're raising your finger? Who you got? You know who who would think that he's a good coach but might not be a great coach? Who's that? R- Rajon Rondo. That's a great point. He would beat everyone in Connect Four, and everyone talks about how smart he is. And I do wonder if he'd be able to handle the personalities right? part of the job because everyone says that that's the kind of the question mark with Rondo. It's been up and down in different situations in in his career. All right, second question: Who is the best coach that if you put them out as on the court as a player, who would play the best? Going off the board for this one, okay. I know Luke Walton's the popular answer. Uh-huh. Billy he's Donovan, under forty. Yeah, Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan is pr- pretty old, right? How old is Billy Donovan, right? Over 50? I I think he's over 50. Led Providence he, to the Final Four. He, he tried to make the NBA and couldn't. Yes. He but, was with the Utah Jazz, even. Okay, but, but consider how much he's learned now that he could be a craftier player than he was then. Less. Billy Donovan, <laughs> 52. The athleticism has is hurts him more. I, I absolutely take Luke Walton, and if not... Maybe a, a Ty Lu or a more recent retiree. Jason Kidd may have been my choice before he was let go by the by the Bucks. Uh who is the worst player coach in the NBA? If you throw the coach out there, put him on the court, 
Who who does the worst? Uh, this I mean, this is has a possibility of getting rude at this at this point. Uh, They're not going to listen. Okay, well, I think maybe Stan Van Gundy might not be great. He can handle the ball. Yeah, that those ball handling videos are impressive. Um, but can he get a shot over anybody? (laughs) It's not clear. No, uh, Steve Clifford obviously is taking games off because of. Health issues. I think he, he. That's a fair point. Probably couldn't uh, play in an NBA. Well, team. I'm glad we asked. We should have asked the worst player, the uh, coach, as as another option. But that'll be another day. Thank you guys so much for listening. We got to run. You can listen to the show as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher if you missed any of it. But for now, it's JP Chunga and Andy Larson signing off for the Salt City Hoop Show here on ESPN.